1: Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and or Brown Talk podcast. We're continuing our look at Andrew Berry draft classes and their roles for 2022. And today we're looking at the 2022 draft class. So Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, and I go through all of the picks that Andrew Berry made. Okay, I won't lie. We don't go through every single pick, but we hit the big picks that Andrew Berry made in 2022 and try to define their roles for this upcoming season. Uh, we did 2021 Uh, yesterday 2020 the day before go back in your feeds to find those and of course we're going to draft all of andrew barry's picks here on our weekend uh, roundtable pod so again just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast you'll get this stuff right on your phone as soon as it posts also make sure you're a football insider subscriber because you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns you get to become one of our text subscribers and You can get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. It's written by one of our Browns reporters. So that's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to become a Football Insider subscriber. All right, here we go. Our Friday Orange and Brown Talk podcast.
0: Here we go on our Friday
1: edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We continue our look at Andrew Berry drafts, and we're going to look at the one he just did, the 2022 draft. We're going to go player by player for the most part and touch on what their role should be or could be this season. But Mary Kay, you mentioned this right before I hit record. We probably should spend a little time on talking about the two most important players in this draft. And that's two players that weren't actually picked, but two players that came as a result of this draft. And that is the starting quarterback Deshaun Watson and the number one wide receiver, Amari Cooper, because really after that, we're going to be getting into third round picks, fourth round picks. And we'll, we'll kind of touch on expectations for guys like that, but those are essentially the crown jewels of, of this draft.
2: Yeah. It's funny because usually when you talk about a draft, you kind of um, talk about the third picks and beyond as, you know, a little bit of an afterthought and spend all your time on the first round pick and the second round pick. And here they don't even have a first round pick or a second round pick. So yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, number one, obviously traded to Houston for Deshaun Watson. And the, the odd thing about that is that we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson yet this year in terms of the suspension. Uh, We are all waiting for Uh, Some kind of an indication on whether or not uh, he's going to be suspended for half the season, less than that, more than that. I don't think anybody really knows at this point, but over the long haul, I would think that Deshaun Watson will more than live up to or at least live up to the six picks that the Browns gave up to get him, including those three first round picks. Uh, If he doesn't, then it will be a colossal fail. Uh, But as long as everything goes okay for him in terms of getting onto the field standpoint uh, and that this thing is not derailed by his off the field issues, then I would think that this was uh, a trade that will work out for them on the field.
1: Yeah, Ashley, it's we always talk about like you as a GM, as a coach, you're kind of judged by your quarterback ultimately. Right. John Dorsey and Baker, maybe we just go through the whole list. Andrew Barry for as smart as he is and and as as well as he manages the roster and all the picks he's made and and some of the hits he's had, it does kind of come down to like, did this chance you take on Deshaun Watson work? Did did $230 million and trading all those picks and taking the PR hit of bringing in Deshaun Watson ultimately pay off?
0: Yeah. And I think when we were in towards the end of last season or right after the season ended, when we did that podcast series, like kind of talking about Different elements of the Browns and, and our comfortability in them, and we talked about the Haslam's and the front office and Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. And when we talked about Andrew Berry, we said, you know, it's we have a lot of confidence in him so far, but he has this big decision on quarterback looming, and that's obviously before everything happened and they actually got Deshaun Watson. So I do think like this was kind of what we were waiting for in terms of to see how it played out, what Andrew Berry would do, because we know it's going to be a huge defining part of his tenure in Cleveland in this position. Um, So obviously that will take a lot of time to, to know how it played out. But I do think when you look back on this draft, just knowing that they didn't have a first round or a second round pick, like it, this draft could very well, I think in the future, be defined by Deshaun Watson and how it played out and worked out for the Browns.
1: Now, of course, the other part of it was uh, bringing in Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. And that is a move Mary Kay that has just aged better and better uh, as things have gone along. And I, I just pulled this up um, average salaries per year. Now Amari Cooper's at 20 million a year. It costs the Browns a fifth round pick. Chris Godwin is is a guy that I think some fans thought the Browns might like. He's making 20 million a year, but you look at some of these salaries that have exploded. Stephon Diggs is up to 24. AJ Brown, 25. DeAndre Hopkins, 27, 250. That was a a contract that was previously done. But Devontae Adams was traded and signed a contract that makes him 28 million a year. And Tyree Kill was traded and he's making 30 million a year. This wide receiver market is just. It's completely blowing up. So the Browns staying ahead of it and making this trade really before the league year even started. It's just, you know, even if Amari Cooper isn't Devonte Adams, this was a move that, like, you got a really good receiver and it costs you essentially nothing.
2: That is true. And I think when you look at uh at the fifth round pick that they gave up, number 155, I think this is going to go down as just an absolutely tremendous trade for them because if they would have tried to wait for him to become a free agent, they probably wouldn't have gotten him. There's a chance he would have gone home uh, to Miami, to his hometown or somewhere else. And at that point, he did not know that Deshaun Watson was showing up here. It was Baker Mayfield. And that probably would not have inspired uh, a free agent contract. So for them to be able to get him for what they got him for, it's tremendous. And uh, you know, it's going to get to the point where I, I actually think that, you know, he might have his hand out in a couple of years if it starts to, to get out of hand a little bit where uh, the market continues to climb like that. And if he's doing really, really well, uh, he's probably going to want to get a little bit more money out of the situation. But for now, uh, they got a bargain from a financial standpoint. They got a bargain from a draft pick compensation standpoint, and he should be really great for Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've said it before on this podcast, if he's the number one receiver on a Super Bowl contending team, a team that goes to the AFC title game or beyond, and he's only making $20 million a year, it wouldn't surprise me if Andrew Berry's phone rang next, even next offseason saying, ah, maybe let's get Amari a little more money. But even if that happens, Ashley, this this was still about as as well as you could use a fifth-round pick.
0: Exactly. I mean, and like we've talked about time and time again, the market for receivers just exploded after Amari Cooper got here. Like it would have been really difficult for actually, I think it probably would have been impossible for the Browns to find someone with comparable talent that can make kind of an immediate impact on the offense, be a true number one at that price, like what he's being paid in his contract and then pick wise. So overall, I mean, just a, I think kind of like a quintessential Andrew Berry front office type of move that, on top of, you know, we see some of the recent extensions and when he's chosen to extend guys and the market maybe uh, goes up a little bit after that as well, like we saw with Denzel Ward. So overall, I think this is just kind of peak Andrew Berry. All right. So let's
1: get into the players they actually picked. And we'll start with number 68 overall, a third round pick, uh, Martin Emerson. Surprised some people that they went cornerback, I think, as, as I know for me, at least, as I've gotten to know him a little more and, and studied kind of what his strengths are and, and what they're looking for at the position. It seemed like a, a pretty good fit. Still young, played a lot of years in the SEC, a lot of playing time in the SEC. He just fit the mold of what we've come to know uh, Andrew Berry likes in a draft pick. So Mary Kay, what, what is a reasonable expectation for Martin Emerson, Emerson in year one?
2: In year one, I think a reasonable expectation would be uh, for Martin to come in here and contribute in the rotation at outside corner, and maybe even some some in the in the slot as the nickelback if he proves that he can do it. And I think he'll also play on some special teams, and that will help him. Uh, but for the most part, I would expect that they're going to try to throw him out there at times and see what he can do against good competition. And I think it will help him tremendously that he has played in the sec against really really good receivers i think that that showed them uh that that he is up to the task and so i you know i think they think highly enough of him that he will get used this year i don't think this is going to be a you know a a richard lecount thing or something where he's barely going to see the field
1: yeah i i agree ashley i I think this is a guy they drafted to play and whether that's if he's going to have to compete with greedy williams to be the third corner or whether they're going to let him try his hand inside right away. Um, You know, we've seen that they kind of will slow play it with guys, but once they're ready, they'll throw them out there. I, yeah, I I think this is a guy we're going to see on the field at least part-time at corner. Like Mary Kay mentioned, he'll get a lot of special teams time. We'll, we'll, we'll see Martin Emerson. We'll hear from him this year.
0: Yeah. And I think to what we've learned time and time again, is just how much these guys value these defensive backs. Like, and the pick made more sense after we found out they're trading Troy Hill, like, right there, there's a spot that opens up then in theory, um, and some snaps that would open up for him. But like we were talking about yesterday, you know, it's interesting to kind of look at Greg, uh, Greg Newsom's game by game breakdown and see, like he started getting more of those slot snaps later in the year. And I think too, that was after Troy Hill had that scary neck injury against new England, um, So I'll be curious to see like how much they work Martin Emerson in there because, you know, we've already started kind of talking about that with them and um, it seems like something that is a possibility and they obviously really love his length and everything. So I think given just that, like they're going to want to put him out there and see what he can do because the reality is in college, he just didn't, I think, get a lot of opportunities to truly show what he can do. And this time I do have the numbers in front of me last season. He was only targeted 13.3% of his snaps so we only saw like 50 passes coming his way out of 375 snaps and then the year before that he was only targeted on 15.2% of his snaps so when you're talking about again some of those stats and only getting one interception I think they probably think there's a lot of room for him to grow in that regard if they were willing to take him who's a guy who had a grade kind of all over the place.
1: And you know, he, Mary Kay, you mentioned this. The receivers he went against were all guys. You know, he listed them off when we talked to him at rookie mini camp. They were all guys who were drafted in the first round, or in like George Pickens' case, had first round talent. And we we just know the Browns value guys who have played a lot against really high level competition. It, Greg Newsom was an example of this. Jeremiah Usakormoa. Uh, when when they use these picks, it's You know, as much as we get caught up in testing numbers and all of that stuff, and and we'll talk about this a little bit with David Bell here in a little bit, if you've produced on a big time stage at the college level, it matters to this front office. And if you're still like 21 years old when, when you've done it.
2: Absolutely, especially when it's SEC competition. Who doesn't love uh, the SEC and what it brings to the table when you uh, try to get these guys out onto the NFL football field? So that means a lot to this regime, and, uh, and I think that they weighed that heavily into their evaluation of Martin Emerson, whereas we saw him all over the board in terms of where people had him. We saw him he you know, all the way from the second round to the fifth round and the second round that I heard about was mostly like his people telling him, maybe you'll go in the second or the third round, his own, uh, you know, agents and coaches and things like that. So um, I, I think they put a lot of weight on that. And, um, and that, you know, I think that he will hold up against that kind, kind of competition. The thing to think about with Martin Emerson, especially if he's going to be playing cornerback on the outside, will his 4.53 speed, uh, be enough in the NFL? Will, will he have good enough playing speed uh, to do what he needs to do as that outside corner? And, and I mean, it certainly was good enough against the SEC competition, but now everybody's going to be at that level. So that's one thing that we'll have to watch. And it also might be a reason why, uh, where he does play some, some more Nickelback, if he can do it, uh, because you don't necessarily have to have the uh, the blazing downfield speed to do that.
1: Okay, so let's move on to pick number seventy eight overall, and that is Alex Wright, defensive end out of UAB. And Ashley, I guess my answer to what his role will be in twenty twenty two is I don't know yet. Because, yeah, I was asking about this, <laughs> like. I guess until we figure out exactly what's going on with Jadavion Clowney, it's hard to know for sure what anyone's role is going to be. We don't really know what Chase Winovich's role is going to be, and that's going to affect Alex Wright as well. So as exciting an answer as it is, I think my answer to this question is I don't know.
0: I think that's right. And we've kind of talked about him as one of those guys how, you know, almost like every year it seems like where there's a guy who's starting and or playing significantly and you're maybe kind of surprised by it as a rookie. Like he might fall into that, right. He might get some significant playing time, but he also might not. And they might kind of let him develop. Um, I do think, you know, they considering where they drafted him, ideally, he might get some meaningful reps this year, but it will be interesting to see if Jadavian Clowney comes back, what that does. And like you said, Dan, like how exactly are they going to use Chase Winovich? Now, Chase Winovich is somebody who, with New England, he, he moved around the defensive line a little bit, so he has some versatility. He played on both sides. That might help him to get on the field more. Um, but Alex Wright is, I think, interesting for this reason because it is really hard to pinpoint what exactly his role might look like in a few months.
1: America, I think you've mentioned on on here in previous podcasts that, I mean, you could see Alex, Wright Being a starter potentially, or kind of playing at that level.
2: Yeah. I think they're really, really excited about Alex. Wright. I think they're uh, extremely excited about uh, the upside potential that he has. I think they feel like they found a diamond in the rough here in the third round. And I know you guys feel the same way that I do from a eyeball test or from passing, you know, from, from a looks standpoint, He looks like a defensive end, and also he looks like he has the frame to get bigger if they need him to do that. Now, if they do uh, need him to just be, you know, a speedy edge rusher, then maybe they don't want him uh, bulking up at all. But uh, if they see him in a more versatile role or want him to set the edge more, uh, then maybe he could put on, you know, even 10 pounds or something like that because he definitely – Uh, has the height and the presence. He looks athletic. He looks physical. He's big. He seems really smart from talking to him. High football acumen, right? I mean, he's just a really interesting, interesting guy. Um, So I think he will have a pretty significant role early on. And then the other thing about him that I think we should probably watch out for is the fact that we've heard them talk about him in terms of being able to play inside and out. And we know that they're, a little challenged on the inside from a talent standpoint right now. So if he can play inside in certain defenses and bring that interior pass rush, or maybe even play inside at times with Perry on Winfrey. So you would be looking at Miles Garrett, Perion Winfrey, Alex Wright, and potentially Jadavian Clowney on the outside. You're looking at a pretty good and formidable defensive line once those two inside guys, or once those two guys that would be on the inside in this case. Uh, kind of come up that learning curve and prove and show that they can do it. If you can get pressure all across that front from any one of those guys and create those kind of mismatches, that's what you really want to do. But this guy is somebody to, to kind of circle and to keep an eye on because I think they think extremely highly of Alex, Wright.
1: And, and that's a good point because last year we saw that a lot on passing downs with tack. Um, they, they liked to put Jadavian and Miles at the end and then they would slide tack to the inside. Um, and, and he just kind of gives them more flexibility uh, depending on, again on how they want to use Winovich and, and we'll get a slightly better idea of this over the next month or so when we're out there at OTAs and, and we see, you know, especially during mandatory mini camp, we'll, we'll hopefully get a good idea of sort of where these guys stand going into training camp, but uh, his, his versatility is going to be key. And, and I don't know, maybe that's his role. Maybe he's, the the tack McKinley in, in all of this. But let's go ahead and move on to David Bell, uh, number 99 overall. And I feel like of these first three, he's the one that it's like, yeah, I see exactly what he's going to be doing. So just real quickly, again, this goes back to Andrew Barry and who he picks. Uh, three years at Purdue. In year one, 86 catches, 1,035 yards, seven touchdowns. Year two, and that was the COVID year where he only played six games. Uh, and the Big Ten was, was shut down for a little while. 53 catches, 625 yards, eight touchdowns. And then last year in 11 games, 93 catches, 1,286 yards and six touchdowns. Mary Kay, big school, big conference, big production. This was a Browns pick. With this, this is one of those ones where I'm like, yes, should have seen this coming. David Bell is a Cleveland Brown.
2: Yeah, I guess you're right. We probably should have seen this coming a little bit more so than we did. And to hear Kevin Stefanski talk about him, he very rarely, really ever effusively praises anyone, but uh, he really had some, some great things to say about David Bell at that rookie mini camp. And it seems like he really likes this guy a lot. I mean, his, his football smarts, just, uh, you know, character, which all these guys seem really super high character guys. Um, But David Bell, I don't know. There's something that really seems to be resonating with Kevin Stefanski about him, his ability to separate his good hands. Uh, And I think he's really excited about him. So uh, the plan initially is for him to be that inside slot receiver, um, you know, in whatever formation, I mean, if, if they're in three wides or if they're in two wides and, Uh, two tight end, whatever they're doing. Uh, I think that the early plan is for him to be in the slot, but they also say he could play outside. So there, there will be times, I think uh, where if he shows that he can handle it, then he will be out there as the number two, or at least the second receiver behind Amari Cooper. Now in the same fashion that we had to talk about Martin Emerson's speed, we need to talk a little bit about David Bell's speed because that's the reason he ended up down here at number 99. He's got all these other great things and these great attributes. uh, And then you look at the 4.65 at the combine and pretty similar at his pro day at Purdue. And, uh, and it's a little bit of a head scratcher because you think, Hmm, is he going to be able to uh, have the NFL type of speed that you need to succeed? Well, then you go back and you look at Jarvis Landry's 4.77 and, uh, and you can, you know, you can also ask yourself, you know, was he not coached up well enough uh, for the, for the 40? Can he get faster? Um, But that's the thing to look at with him. It's why he was here, why he was available. They're not overly concerned about it. They think he'll be really productive.
0: Dan, didn't you say at Purdue at his pro day when he ran the forty, it was like outside and raining, and it was it was exactly like Mary Kay's suggesting maybe he could have been coached up better and given
1: yeah, better. Conditions I, I don't I don't know what in. I don't know what Purdue was doing. Like all these places have these things in their field houses on fast turf, like downhill, and Purdue just takes them outside in the snow and the rain, like it was cold, and I, I think it was on turf still, but like no, nobody runs there. 40s outdoors <laughs> like
0: yeah um for a reason for yeah. a reason yeah i mean these schools, want, these schools
1: want to get these guys drafted and you know i think daniel jeremiah has told a story that they measured a 40 once at a pro day and it was 38 yards like the, these pro day 40 times can be real shady i'm sure it's gotten cleaned up a little bit but like <laughs> yeah it's supposed, great. it's supposed to get guys drafted um but so actually the question is here like so jarvis landry as mary kane mentioned he was a 477 guy Rashard Higgins was a 4'6 guy, and I keep wondering, like, is David Bell going to end up being kind of Rashard Higgins? And, like, if he is, is that okay?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think, too, when we've talked about Jarvis's testing time, for example, right, like, he is an anomaly, I think, in a lot of ways for to test as poorly as he did, which he, I believe, tested poorer than David Bell did. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know exactly if it's fair to compare David Bell to either of those. Like maybe Rashard Higgins when Rashard Higgins is really good. Um, But I do know, like Mary Kay was saying, from hearing them talk, like there are certain things that they just love about him that I'm thinking, I'm wondering if they were almost like excited when they saw how poorly he ran because they were like, oh, we might have a chance at him still. We might have a chance to still get him because he's going to drop. And I do think there is obviously – some element of how does this guy look on tape versus running a 40 in adverse conditions. And I just think overall, they really value what he can. I would say they probably think he could be a better version of Rashard Higgins, which is what they would want. Considering Rashard Higgins isn't on Steam team anymore.
1: I mean, same question to you, Mary Kay. Like if he ends up being sort of a version of Rashard Higgins, because I, I like, I think Jarvis is special. Like the, Jarvis, his route running, his ability to catch all of that, like, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of Jarvis Landry's in, in this league who kind of tested that poorly, aren't that athletic compared to some other wide receivers, but just absolutely can dominate games. If he ends up a little more Richard Higgins than Jarvis Landry, is that okay?
2: You know what? I think if he ends up somewhere in between Richard right. Higgins and Jarvis Landry is where you would kind of want him to be. I agree with you 100 percent. That bar is set very, very high uh, with Jarvis Landry. There are not many guys that make the Pro Bowl five times in their career. I mean, that's almost getting to uh, the point where a couple more of those and you're talking about like, you know, being discussed for Hall of Fame consideration, right? So, um, so, you know, Jarvis had some incredible numbers that other people didn't meet in the first three, four, five years of, of his career. So that bar is pretty darn high, but I think the Rashard bar is a little bit too low. I think the Browns see more, uh, from David Bell than they would have expected from, uh, Rashard Higgins. And he, he came in a higher, uh, draft round than Rashard Higgins did as well. Um, so yeah, I would think that, um, that he'd be somewhere in between there. And, but the thing about Rashard is, I mean, when you look back to a couple of his good years uh, he had 39 receptions, 572 yards and four TDs. And uh, I can't remember exactly what year that was. And then uh, his other good year was 37 for 599 yards and four TDs. So I think that David Bell will get more targets than Rashard Higgins. Uh, because just the way they talk about him and feel about him, I, I just think that they're going to try to really take advantage of, of what he can do and his skill set. So I think he'll get more than uh, the 50 targets a season that Richard was getting. And therefore, I think he'll be more productive uh, than Richard was. But I actually think that Richard could have been more productive than he was as well. I think there were times when uh, we all wondered, why isn't he getting a few more targets himself? Uh, but I, I don't think that'll be a problem with David. I think that David will get plenty and I think that uh, he'll make the most of them.
1: Yeah. Like it wouldn't surprise me if this guy has, I don't know, 50, 60 catches this rookie year, especially if, if this offense does throw the ball more. Um, yeah, I'm kind of looking. So Brandon cooks had 81 catches for the Texans in 2020. Then it was Will Fuller at 53. So you know, if he ends up in that 50 to 60 range with Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball, I I wouldn't be shocked by that at all in his rookie year. And then it's kind of, you know, you can kind of keep going up from there. I I think he's got that type of talent. Okay. The guy we all want to talk about, I'm going to make everybody wait. We're going to take a break. And then when when we come back, we will get into Perry on Winfrey. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast where we are looking at the 2022 draft picks, uh, their roles potentially in 2022. If you missed our podcast about 2020 draft picks and 2021 draft picks, uh, that those are all on our feed. And then we're going to draft Andrew Berry draft picks here on the podcast. Actually, I wanted to say this about David Bell. I'm very interested to see where he goes in, in relation to some of the other receivers that, that Andrew Berry has selected in his 24 picks as GM. But let's be honest. This is the guy. This is who we all want to talk about. Perrion Winfrey, uh, fourth-round pick, kicked off the day with a splash. We all needed a little boost that day, and Perrion brought it for us, at number 108 overall with one of the great post-draft calls ever. So I really like the potential of this guy. I like the potential of this pick. I'm a little torn, though, in trying to – like temper my expectations about him because he was the number 108 pick, but also the reality that like, Ashley, there's a world with this guy's the starter three technique week one. I I guess I'm trying to find that middle ground there.
0: I was just going to say, I mean, I think he's probably like the person I'm expecting to be the starter there week one. I think this was a steal for the Brown. Now, obviously I think, like you said, Dan, he's 108 pick there still needs to be some development and, you know, looking at Dane Brugler from the athletic and his draft guide that he did, I think it's the perfect descriptor. He said, he plays like a bull in a China shop, which like, I think is a great descriptor and you want somebody who's super aggressive, but sometimes that aggressiveness, I think has to be a bit more controlled, a bit more managed, like things like that. And obviously like people have talked about his pad levels too um, and improving things like that. But I think he undeniably has the traits, at least from what we've seen so far as a starter. And especially to be a starter on this defense where, you know, on the interior of that line, they do value guys being able to disrupt the passing game and he can do that. And I know he's mentioned too, he didn't feel like he was used correctly all the time in college. And I think here they're going to maybe get the most out of him in a way that he prefers.
1: Mary Kay, I feel like this is a pick where the Brown stability is going to help them. Because it just sounded, listening to them talk about this pick, it was like, okay, this is the guy that we know, Joe Woods and this defensive staff, who have been here, who have been together now for three years, that we've been drafting guys into this defense for three years. This is what they want out of a three technique. It just feels like maybe this is one of those situations where even though he fell, that this might end up kind of being a really good match because the Browns know what they want in that position and they have a coaching staff that can develop him and his development could go really quickly.
2: Yeah, I I think so. I think uh, the number one asset that they uh, really liked about him was that ability to rush the passer from the inside. Uh, That's what they um, really value and that's what they love. And it's hard to find. So Um, Yeah, I absolutely 100% think that and think about this. If you can get 14 or 15 starts out of Malik McDowell last year, (laughs) who was as raw as they come at defensive tackle, then certainly you're going to give that opportunity to Perry on Winfrey, especially because there's really no obvious person in front of him uh, that will be holding him back from doing that. And then when you pair him with Miles Garrett on the outside and possibly Jadavion Clowney on the outside, you know, you can have a little bit of lack of experience on the inside because those guys will help cover up for any ills or mistakes or help him get to be where he needs to be. But I definitely think that, that he's going to start this year as long as everything goes as planned. And he comes up the learning curve. I think a lot of people were surprised that he lasted until the fourth round. Uh, who knows what that was all about, but, um, but he does have, have that skill set of, of being able to sort of be a mauler and uh, you know, and just to have that explosiveness and that power uh, to bring that interior rush. So I think he's going to be the guy.
1: You know what I kind of liked too, this is weird. I kind of liked that he was a little more calm at rookie mini yeah. camp. When we talked to him that he wasn't like, he wasn't quite the guy that we saw in the Zoom call. There was a little bit of that there, but I, I kind of liked that he was a little more calm and a little more like, okay, I'm here. It's time to work. It's time to, I, I, I kind of like that. And the other piece too, and something I don't think we talk about enough is, you know, we always talk about the bookends, right? Jadavion and Miles and how they helped each other out. But that inside pressure is almost more beneficial to an edge rusher. To have like to, for Miles or Jadavion or Alex Wright, whoever it is, to have someone next to them who's creating pressure too, that's at least as beneficial, if not more, than having those those bookends. Those guys really can help each other out just being directly next to each other. So, um, and Perian is certainly excited to learn from uh, from Miles Garrett, as are some other people. Go ahead, Mary Kay.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, when I talked to Greg Newsom about Perrion Winfrey, and they were good buddies back in high school, they played against each other in high school. And when I talked to him about Perrion Winfrey, he did mention that he thinks that uh, that Miles Garrett will have his best season in the NFL with Perrion inside because of what he brings uh, to the table. So I thought that was pretty lofty praise.
1: All right, let's talk kickers. Cade York. I, I mean, I don't I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on this. We're talking about 2022 expectations. He's the kicker. The expectation is to make kicks. Yes. Okay. Is it any more complicated than that?
0: Oh, if only it was that simple, Dan. Come on. Um, yeah, no. I mean, obviously, on the surface level, that is, I think, what's most important for him like the big question for me is going to be how he handles kicking which we've already talked to him about obviously the weather in cleveland is a lot different than the weather in baton rouge louisiana when you are kicking um and he does fit into kind of like the Andrew Bray model like we said he's still young like he did not partake in his senior year of college this upcoming season he entered the draft after his junior year he's fairly new to kicking still he was a soccer player throughout high school and he seems like a guy who can obviously handle these high pressure environments and he talked about that that then the sec you're kicking in front of 100,000 plus fans every single week. So that's good. But the weather element of it is just different here. Um, He obviously has already talked to Phil Dawson about it and managing the wind and uh, the other conditions that can arise in Lake Erie. But, you know, when we talked about that schedule release, we mentioned in the second half of that schedule, even with those road games, there is the potential for a lot of cold or bad weather games. And I think that's like the biggest question for him, even though his role is defined, it's going to be like, How does he handle this different climate?
1: Yeah, Mary Kay, I mean, what do you, when when we talk about Cade York, I guess, how how do you expect his season to sort of play out?
2: Well, here's the thing. I I don't necessarily think that he will be Evan McPherson right away as a rookie. I think that, you know, I don't, Evan McPherson was special, made the Pro Bowl, was absolutely incredible uh, during the playoffs, didn't miss a kick. Um, And so, yeah, I think that, if the, if the bar is set that high, I think we're going to have to give Cade York, cut him just a little bit of slack and not expect him to be that as a rookie. There might be a few bumps in the road, as you guys were talking about, because of the weather um, and just how different that's going to be for him. He will also be doing something that he didn't do at all in college, and that is handling the kickoff chores here. Um, And they have every reason to believe he can do it, even though he only did it, I think, like twice at LSU because they had a very established, as I call him, kickoffer. Um, So who did it for four solid years and was like the best in the history of the NCAA or something like that. Um, But so he will be adding that to his plate. Um, so to expect that he's going to be Evan McPherson right away, people might be a little bit disappointed if he's not that, uh, but, but I think he can develop into a really good pro bowl kicker, hard to make the pro bowl as a kicker, but I think he can do it. And and that's the, uh, talent level that, that he has.
1: All right. So for these last four guys, Jerome Ford, Michael Woods, Isaiah Thomas, and Dawson Deaton, we're just going to open up the floor. Is, is there one guy in particular on this list, Mary Kay, that you're sort of intrigued by or, or that you want to talk about as someone who could make a, a surprising impact, I guess, in 2022?
2: You know, I, I think I'm going to go, I'm not going to take so, sort of the super obvious, which would probably be the first one of those guys, Jerome Ford. We've talked about him a lot. I'm going to go and skip over to Michael Woods. I think they were very intrigued by Michael Woods. And when it came time to, uh, you know, to sort of figure out, who everybody in the personnel department was excited about amongst these, the late round, you know, receivers that, that were out there. Michael Woods was sort of a unanimous guy. Everybody got really excited uh, to think that they could end up with Michael Woods. Now we did not get a chance to see him actually practice at rookie mini camp because he had a sleeve on his left leg. It's some kind of a left leg injury, Um, but good size, 6'1", 204. And in a perfect world, he'll turn out to be and play way above his draft slot in the same way that Donovan Peoples-Jones did. And a reason why he has a chance to do that is because, once again, one Deshaun Watson. I mean, if he were playing with Baker Mayfield, we might not be looking at him and thinking, hey, maybe this guy could really turn into something. Uh, But I think he has a chance, and it will be interesting to watch him in training camp.
1: I'm kind of intrigued by him. You know, this is sort of I, I don't know, Ashley, if this guy can be like a Donovan Peoples-Jones type right away or or if he can fall into that role. But I do think this was an interesting pick to just add another receiver into the mix and, and put him in that room and just sort of see what he can do. Um, and, and, you know, again, as, as you look through some of the things that people like about him, there there's that word length again. So there's clearly something the Browns were looking for here when they drafted him.
0: Yeah, I was going to say like the thing we heard over and over about him was his, his length and his catch radius. So in a room that going into the draft was fairly thin, I mean, obviously when they initially had the 13th pick and then the 44th pick, people were hoping they would take one of those higher caliber receivers, but it's kind of understandable why later in the draft. And we've talked about this before where they do this sometimes where I don't think Jerome Ford is necessarily this kind of pick, but Michael Woods might fall into that category a little bit more is betting on those traits and kind of just seeing what happens and see how they develop uh, behind some of these guides that are ahead of them on the depth chart.
1: All right. So, Ashley, who did you have in, in this group that you wanted to that, that kind of stood yeah,
0: besides Besides Michael Woods, I mean, I do think Isaiah Thomas is potentially interesting to me. Um, now, obviously, that defensive end position is, is getting a little bit crowded, <laughs> maybe a little bit here, but it was interesting to hear, for me, Perry and Winfrey talk about playing alongside him and how much he loved playing alongside him in college and the chemistry that he had and just the fact that the Browns have both those guys, like, I'll be curious to see kind of how many reps they get next to each other when we're able to watch them practice a little bit more. Um, and what that looks like, because that to me was, was interesting because he was doing nothing, but Harry and Winfrey was doing nothing, but kind of singing his praises when we talked to him at rookie camp last week.
1: Yeah. And, and Mary camp sort of to the point where I'm ready to see like some new blood on that depth chart at defensive end and, and give a guy like an, an Isaiah Thomas a chance and, you know, whatever Alex Wright's role is, give, give him that opportunity. I think we've sort of seen enough of, you know, guys like Porter Gustin, Curtis Weaver, some of these guys who are fine, but maybe it's also time to to sort of re- rearrange that room a little bit.
2: Yeah. And um, when, when you look at an Isaiah Thomas, when you're getting to the seventh round, we, what do we know about Andrew Barry when we're trying to figure out trends with Andrew Barry in the draft? What we know so far is that he doesn't love making those seventh round picks. So we were all, of course, uh, you know, rooting for him <laughs> to, uh, you know, to trade some of those picks away. So you kind of take a flyer on these guys in the seventh round. And that, that's basically what you do. And if, if you hit on something, then it's kind of a bonus. Uh, and the thing with Isaiah Thom- Thomas that was similar to, um, to with um, Perrion Winfrey is they played in a 3-4 defense and they see something different of them here in this 4-3 and what they can do. And, you know, maybe there will be more to him than meets the eye. Um, I'm sure Perrion was excited to have him come. Um, you know, when you get to that late in the draft, sometimes you do it for, for that reason. You know, give Perrion his buddy and bring him along. And, you know, why not? So um, so we'll have to see what he can turn into.
1: A little older pick, too. So yeah. some of these guys were, were a little older than maybe it was just Andrew Barry trying to throw off the averages and like just I think he
0: was he was the oldest pick at that point right or I'm trying might have been I can't remember but yeah he was a redshirt
1: senior and played a lot of college football and like I said Andrew Barry's just messing with averages he's trying to throw everybody off the scent but we're on to you Andrew we know we know you can't fool us with these seventh round picks. Okay. I think that's everybody. Um, I mean, we have spent a lot of time on Jerome Ford, no disrespect here to Dawson Deaton, who uh, they're, they're listing as an interior alignment, but probably not a guy that we're going to see a lot of in 2022. It sort of feels like James Hudson, right? If, if we do yeah. see Dawson Deaton, it either means a, he was amazing and he won the starting center job or B something went really wrong and there was an injury to someone that you don't want to get hurt. So uh, Dawson Deaton, kind of a a roll of the dice there on depth on the inside. So Dawson, again, no disrespect. We're rooting for you. We hope you make it, but we'll save our Dawson Deaton conversation for another day. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast. Uh, Like I said, if you missed our looks at the other Andrew Berry drafts, just head back uh, to your podcast feed and Apple podcasts or Spotify to check those out. If you're not subscribed, get subscribed. And then also become a football insider subscriber at slash Brown's the blue banner at the top of the page for info there. Uh, Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to you later.